0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode, I'm joined by Michael Layton. During his career, he played in 111 NHL games, led the Philadelphia Flyers to the 2010 Stanley Cup Finals, and posted more shutouts than any goalie in American Hockey League history. On top of that, he was also a five-time All-Star and 2008 Goalie of the Year. Layton played for nearly 20 teams during his pro career and is a sure bet to be inducted into the AHL Hall of Fame. He's truly one of the good guys in the game, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Cheers! i so happy to have my friend on, Michael Layton. Thank you so much for joining me today. How did you come to the conclusion that this was the right time? For you to end your 18 season career, am I shortchanging you on that? I know,
1: 18 pro, yeah,
0: yeah, that's amazing. So, how did it come about that this was the right time for it to end?
1: Uh, well, I think the last couple of years, it's got a little little tougher to find jobs. Uh, AHL, I think over the last four to five years, it started to get younger and younger, and really be uh, became more of a developmental league. So, you know. When you turn 36, 37, 38, the teams are kind of looking at your age and injuries, and uh, so it got a little tougher to find jobs. And uh, you know, I was always moving away from my family, so it just got tougher and tougher as the years gone on. You know, this year I looked uh, not very hard, but I looked early, you know, in free agency to see if anything popped up. Uh, nothing, nothing came about. So uh, waited around for a little while, and you know, was was thinking about. Doing what I did last year and wait around till almost Christmas time, and you know I, I know something would pop up, but you know this point in my life I just uh, didn't want to get into that again, and just thought it was time.
0: Yeah, you kind of have to decide if it's really worth it too, especially with families, right? I was kind of in the same boat. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's tough. Um, you know, you know you're going to be away from them again, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get a job, uh, or it could be over in in Russia or you know Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, whatever. So. You know, I just felt uh, I was enjoying my time at home with my family, and um, you know, start a time to start a new chapter.
0: Do you have any idea what's going to come next?
1: Uh, not hundred percent. No, I, I, I definitely want to stay in the game. I, I like the you know goalie coaching aspect, um, goalie development. I really like too. I, I like working with the young guys, which I I kind of did over the last two or three years, is, is kind of mentor young kids. Um, you know, I would like to stick with a team and, and possibly do something like that, and work with the, the junior kids, and then maybe the AHL guys, and you know, try to progress their uh, their career to the NHL and uh, or even scouting. Uh, I was kind of open to that too. So we'll we'll see what happens here in uh, in the next few years.
0: It seems like that'd be a perfect role for you, especially considering how much the position changed over your career. I mean, that had to be a major theme of what you did over your. Over the whole time you played, was trying to make sure you stayed current and learn all the new techniques. Because I mean, from watching you, I'm sure there's a massive difference between 2001 and when you finished in 2019.
1: Oh, big time, big time! Game, game changed so much. And and for me, I think what really op- opened my eyes to that was I had Curtis Joseph as a goalie coach in Charlotte, and he was only there maybe two weekends a month. Uh, they already come in for the week or something, and, you know, we go golfing and just kind of hang out and, you know, lunch and dinners, and you know, just talking to that guy was, was awesome. You know, I had a great time with him. He's a very approachable guy, and, uh, you know, I knew he related to everything that he was talking about and everything I brought up. He's been there and done that, right? So it was good to to get that feel from him, and, um, you know, I, I feel like I can definitely pass that on to to, to some other younger kid.
0: Was there anything you learned from Curtis Joseph that you wouldn't have expected? I didn't even know that you had him as a goalie coach, so this is fascinating. I mean, there's somebody who did so much in his career in a lot of different places. Was there anything that was kind of surprising that you learned?
1: Um, I think for me with him was he really talked about reading the play a lot. And I think that that was big for a lot of goalies, um, even before I played. Um, They always read the play very well. and. And he would always say, okay, when the puck's coming over the blue line, we're looking everywhere. And I know I did that, but he kind of opened my eyes to, to almost knowing what the play was going to happen before it happened. And, and we kind of, we did a few drills, you know, not, nothing crazy but it, but more or less just talking about it, uh, being aware of, of uh, where guys are on the ice. And, you know, if the puck's in the corner, who's out front? Is that guy a righty, lefty? Is he, you know, one timer? Does he shoot a lot? So just having that in my mind, uh, he kind of helped me in that aspect.
0: Were you a big fan? Of his growing up?
1: I was. I was, a believe it or not, I'm proud to say this now, hopefully, a Toronto Maple Leaf fan as I was growing up. Uh, my first, uh, goalie crush, I guess you can call it, was Alan Bester. <laughs> um, you know, big glove saves. Don Cherry had a nice, uh, little section on him and his rock'em sock'ems. Uh, so then when he kind of weeded out a little bit, uh, Felix Potvin was, uh, you know, big idol of mine, and then Cujo came in after him. So any goalie that really played for Toronto, I was I was a big fan of, especially the, you know, the reacting goalies that made big glove saves and, you know, flashy saves.
0: So was that a big part of what made you want to become a goalie? You know, and I'm guessing that's part of it, but what else made you decide to hop in the net?
1: <laughs> yeah, that definitely is, is part of it. Um, I just liked, uh, obviously, the gear. Everyone loves the gear. When I was little, you know, Christmas time came around. I was, I was hoping to get something and it was a new pair of pads and you, you sleep in them and wear, you know, wear your gloves around the, the house for, for two or three weeks before you even get to try them. Um, the gear aspect, but, um, I really like the challenge of it. I, I grew up with, uh, with two brothers. One was a year older than me and I started playing out when I was little and, um, I eventually, I I excelled to his level. So they moved me up and I was playing out a year up uh, with my brother. And finally they're rotating goalies. And one day they said, do you want to play? I said, sure. Uh, I think we lost eight nothing or 10 nothing. And I I skated off the ice and my parents were looking at me and I said, that was fun. I had so much fun. And they're like, oh man, no way. So I just found for me at that age, it was more of a challenge. Um, Scoring goals, I found a lot easier than stopping pucks. And I know that sounds weird, but I, I just enjoy the challenge of, of stopping pucks and and competing against my friends in practice and and in a game. You know, everyone looks at you, you know, to win the game and to make those saves, and that's that's kind of just drew me towards the position.
0: Being an Ontario kid, you didn't have to go too far by the time you got to junior hockey in Windsor. What was your path that led you to get to the Spitfires?
1: Uh, I played uh, two years. I think I was 15, 16. I uh, played in Petrolia with the Petrolia Jets. I uh, played there for two years and uh, was drafted third round to Windsor and just kind of transitioned right in. I, w- I went in there not knowing to, what to expect. Uh, we had a you know, not-so-good team the first year.
0: That's an understatement. Uh, I'm looking at what this was. You guys look like you're horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we had a tough year.
0: But you still ended up getting drafted after.
1: I did, I did. Um, I think it was Murray. Um, Bob Murray's one that drafted me, and I said to my agent too. I'm like, wow, it's you know sixth round." I was I was surprised um, that went down like that. And he, he said, "Well, what I saw was he was on a bad team. Um, he still never got down on himself. He didn't blame anybody. He still worked hard, and he you know he liked my size and and my skill. So turned out good. Uh, played uh, two more years in junior." And, uh, I think I made the All-Star team my second year or third year. I'm not quite sure on that. But, uh, you know, things got better as a junior. I grew as a player and, um, we had Tom Webster, an old uh, NHL coach and, and Mike Kelly come in and kind of turn, uh, the Spitfire organization around. And, um, you know, the, the, the drafting got better and the team just got better. And, uh, you know, we had Steve Ott, Jason Spezza on the team. Um, so we had a good, good group of guys and, for some reason every year we just couldn't beat Plymouth. Plymouth Whalers smacked us in the playoffs every year. All three years I was there, so they they were like the the thorn in our side that we couldn't beat.
0: It seemed like you were a huge part of this turnaround though. You know, your first year four and seventeen and by your third year there you were thirty two and thirteen and your numbers were really, really nice. So you made Bobby Murray look good with his draft pick, but you touched on something I wanted to ask you about. How they liked your size. I mean you're 6'3, which by today's standards is almost average. You know, when I yeah, was drafted yeah. in 2002, I was considered a big goalie. And was that something you think was really important to them? And and were you a bigger goalie back then compared to a lot of the other guys that were playing?
1: Yeah, I think the average, I think when I came in was around six foot. And anything over six foot, you were considered a big goalie. It's changed, um, hasn't
0: it, man? It's yeah. unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, I think I was only like 180 pounds or something when I, when I first cracked, uh, into the NHL. So, or the AHL. So I, I was definitely tall and thin and, no, you know, not much muscle on me. But, uh, yeah, it, it definitely has changed. Now, you know, the bishops and those guys, that's, that's almost, the, that's the normal now is to have a, uh, 6'3 to 6'5. But the problem is these guys can move now too. It's not like you're 6'5 and you're just standing in the net taking space. These guys are athletic and, and can move like you wouldn't believe.
0: Did you know that Chicago was going to have some juice behind you when you came out of junior hockey? What's fascinating about your career to me is that you played the, your entirety of it between three leagues, American League, National League, and that you're in Russia. So you never played in the coast. You never went anywhere else in Europe that I could figure besides those places. So when you came out of junior, did you think that Chicago really had a plan for you trying to get you to the NHL rather quickly?
1: I, I, I really didn't know. Um, when I was drafted, I still played a year in the OHL and really I never even thought about the AHL. I always kind of tried to, to, to stick to where I'm at and, and focus on playing well in, in Windsor. And I think one day me and my, my girlfriend at the time, wife now, we, we looked at the map and we're like, where's, uh, where's Norfolk, Virginia? Like we never, never really heard of it. Looked on the map, we're like, oh, geez, that's, uh, you know, 12, 13 hour drive from us here. Uh, so, you know, once I knew that that was going to happen, and, um, you know, I went to training camp and, 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 you know, felt pretty good. And I, I think they were happy with me. Quick story, Steve Passmore was my, uh, was another goalie that was around. We were rooming together at that time. And, and he came in the room and he says, uh, I'll tell you what, Mike. He says, you're, you're a better goalie than me. And I look, kind of looked over at him, like, what are you talking about here? He goes, yep, you're better, but you're going to go down to Norfolk and I'm going to be in, in, in Chicago. And I kind of, they kind of took me back. I was like, okay. He goes, yep. He said, the only reason you're better, but I'm, I'm older and more experienced and I'm going to stay up here and you're going to go, you're going to go down and, you know, progress and and learn down there. But I'm, I'm going to be here and you're going to be in the minors. So I was like, okay, Steve, thanks for your honesty kind of thing. Was he like (laughs) super,
0: yeah. Was he like super matter of fact about it too?
1: He was a very honest guy. Great guy. Um, he definitely didn't shy back from uh, from telling anybody what he thought about them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you Did you learn anything from him, though? I mean, coming in, he's played all these years of pro hockey. Was there anything that he that he kind of you know let you in on little secrets, things like that, that he had learned in his youth and in his pro career?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was an older guy, so you know he came down eventually to Norfolk and played for a little while, and that was the first time I really seen an older goalie come down from the NHL and play in the A. And he still worked hard. Man, that, that guy would work hard in practice, games. Uh, I knew his mindset. He wanted to get back to the NHL. So he worked and did whatever he had to do to get back up. And, you know, eventually he did move up. And uh, I think I had a, a skid of games, probably five, six games where I was, you know, I was playing great and I was letting in a couple soft goals, uh, you know, just here and there. And, And I couldn't figure it out. I was getting frustrated. And he he brought me aside and he said, Look, look. And he showed me the video and he said, It is a, it's a game of inches. You're, you're not square to the puck when this guy's shooting. You're, you're, you know, an inch to the right. Your shoulders are turned at, you know, an inch. If you can square up to that guy, you know, you're, you're looking at the puck, shoulders are right towards the puck, you're going to make a save. And sure enough, soon as he said that, I went in the net, played a great game and, uh, and was good after that. So, you know, just having that guy, talk to me. And that's why I think goalie coaches are important to have, have someone just tweak something in your game that gives you that reassurance. Like, okay, that yeah, that's what I'm doing wrong. If I fix it, I'm going to play better. And you get that confidence back and, and roll with it. That's what happened with him.
0: I mean, especially back then, it's not like teams were employing goalie coaches that were permanently down in the American league and helping guys out. Like to get that bit of advice from an older guy must've really meant a lot to you, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great. Uh, We had Stefan Waite, was in Chicago, so you'd come down, you know, once, uh, once or twice a month and and work with me and Anderson, and, um, you know, he was great, great goalie coach, uh, and I learned a lot from him, too.
0: What was it like coming out at 20 years old in the American League? I didn't get there and think until I was 23 or 4. Was it a really big jump from junior?
1: Uh, it was. The, The skill level was definitely, um, was a lot better. Obviously, the game was faster, guys could shoot the puck harder, um, but everyone was just bigger. But I, I didn't find it that big of a, an adjustment because you're playing with better players, too. You know, the D are making passes and making plays and breaking out and boxing guys out in front of the net. So kind of everyone's there for a reason. You know, um, they all have their own jobs, and I felt even when you get to the NHL, you're with better players, and they do their job even better. So it makes your job a little bit easier, I feel.
0: You had a really good season, man, like 2 one 27 and 16 and 8. That's an unbelievable first year at any age for anybody at that league. But it was a pretty wild team. I mean, I showed up in Norfolk in 2005, and there were still some of these guys left that were there. Sean Thornton, Quentin Lang, A.J. Baines. Was it a fun team to be around back then? Because, I mean, Norfolk's one of my favorite cities, too. So it was a great place to live, I'd imagine, for you as well.
1: It was. It was. It was a great bunch of guys. and I'm sure you know the, the travel just sucked there. It, yeah, was, uh, it was a great city uh everyone enjoyed it there you know we lived in um, virginia beach right on the water uh so you really become closer to these guys because you're you know you're taking seven eight hour bus rides you're, you're you're on a sleeper bus through the night and you wake up at five in the morning and you kind of you're just hanging out with each other more so we had a great bunch of guys um and we had a good team too we, uh, we I think we made it to the second round that year and um we lost out but uh, you know, I definitely enjoyed my time there. It was great.
0: One of your former teammates tipped me off to a Halloween party that had some pretty interesting things going on at it. Uh, one player wearing a scream mask, another person trying to cook. Can you give me any insight to what might have happened at that?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. we had a, a good Halloween party at our, our place. We were right on the water in, in the Croatan Beach area. Um, some good costumes. Uh, Rumen Nadir. I don't know if you remember that name.
0: Yeah, I do. Yep.
1: Uh, so Ruman was dressed as uh, Dennis Rodman, <laughs> and, and, and and he was the carrying word. around. Uh, yeah, he was carrying around a Culligan jug, big Culligan jug with vodka cranberry in it, and he was drinking out of that the whole night. That oh. uh, was. Uh, it was a fun night. <laughs>
0: Man, I, I one of the notes on this was that Tyler Arneson was a. a Really big part of that team, and a really, I guess, funny and interesting guy to be around here. But he tried to make mac and cheese in a pyrex dish. Is that did that really happen at this thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, my first year, I lived with Kent Huskins and Tyler Arneson, and we were all, or you know, they, they came out of college, so they're a little older. Uh, we just, you know, first week hanging out and say, hey, you want to live together? Great. So we got a place uh, right on the beach, Virginia Beach, and uh, me and. Me and Husky are pretty, uh, laid back kind of guys and, and Tyler was more of a partier, let's go, kind of have fun. Um, so he went off on his own a bunch of times and the mac and cheese story, one day, I don't know what he was doing. Um, he decided to make mac and cheese on the stove with a glass dish <laughs> and he was not successful. I'd say I I don't even know. He, he shattered glass all over the kitchen, all over the area, cracked it, glass everywhere. And, Arnie being Arnie, instead of saying, oh, man, I got to clean this up. He just left it. <laughs> and, and and his his defense it maybe was because uh, you know, the glass was hot and he had to wanna let it cool. But after five days of it sitting there, mac and cheese, rotting, glass everywhere, uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, was there, and she started cleaning it up. And I said, Jen, do not clean it up. Leave it, leave it, leave it. And she's like, no, I can't leave this. I can't leave it. So she she cleaned it up for him, and. There was no thank you or nothing like that, but <laughs> it was quite, quite comical. Quite
0: Can comical. you believe that this happens, though? We had the same thing happen in Peoria one year. Somebody was trying to heat up some pierogies, and it was the same thing. They put it on a hot burner, and the Pyrex exploded all over the place. The exact same <laughs> thing. It's almost like you need a training manual for guys right out of junior or, or out of college. Yeah, yeah it
1: cook. is. It's that, and, that, and that was probably the biggest jump for me from junior to the A. Is I was living on my own. I was you know, 20 years old. Um, I got a a car. I got, now I got, um, bills to pay. I got, you know, to make sure I'm going to bed on time. You know, I didn't have a a billet, you know, feeding me every day. I had to, to either cook or go for dinner and make breakfast. And so all that stuff really was like a 180 from junior where I had, you know, a billet family doing all that for me.
0: Things have been going pretty well and you get to the national league and I guess you're what twenty two or twenty three years old. Did you think you were ready for it for those first games that you played with the Chicago Blackhawks?
1: Uh yeah, you know, I I, I had some success in the A and I felt good and I went up and, and played a few NHL games and I and I played well. Um, I definitely feel like you'll see a lot of goalies who play their first game, you know, they're they're kinda of playing on adrenaline. You know, they they're excited. Um but the hard part is to stay at that level. You know, you get as soon as you start getting comfortable, sometimes the game slides a little bit, or you just don't feel as good. You're not wired like you were your first couple games. Um, you know, but I played uh, I think three my first year or something, ten my second, and then the third year I started the season in uh, in Chicago with Jocelyn Tebow. You know, and I got in here and there, and we didn't have a great team. Uh, Jocelyn was a great goalie, great mentor for me. Uh, so it was, obviously it was a tough year, but you know, personally, I felt good. I wish I, I look at tape now, and I wish I could tweak my game and do a total one hundred and eighty, and I would have probably had a better career. But uh, you know, you look back at your games eighteen years ago, and I'm sure you could say the same thing. Like you just absolutely you, you just say, "What was I doing? What, you know, what was I thinking there?"
0: What was it like to play for Brian Sutter? I mean, growing up in St. Louis, he had this mystique about him of being kind of the ultimate hard-ass, honestly. What was he like by the time he got to Chicago?
1: He was. He was um, uh, very strict, but also guys respected him. They, they knew his uh, his past and the success he's had as a coach. So everyone listened to him when he was talking. If he was yelling, you stopped to listen. Um, but one thing, one thing I remember about him is right before a game, you'd walk by him and he would give you this look. He'd look at you and it's almost like he was mad at you and he would lift his fist up, clinch his fist, like he's going to punch you. And he would just say, come on, Leach, come on. And he would get so intense and you walk by him and you're expecting him to punch you in the face or something. But he punches you in the shoulder. Like he would legitimately punch you in the shoulder as hard as he could. And it would hurt. So... That's the way he motivated guys was to get him going. as walk by and, yeah, yeah, come on, have a good game. And he'd grin his teeth and you just see like he wanted to get on the ice and he wanted to be the, <laughs> be the goalie or he wanted to, to go fight someone. So I uh, I really enjoyed having him as a coach for sure.
0: That's equal parts terrifying and inspiring. I, it, I, it
1: was, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you, you went back to the American League and you continued to play great hockey. It, it didn't seem... Just looking at numbers in your career, like it got you down, but was it a big blow to you to go back to the American League and keep fighting to get back to the national?
1: Uh, it, it obviously was a blow. Everyone wants to be in the NHL and, and I'm sure you, you've been through the same thing in your career when you get sent down, you kind of you're upset, but there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it as, hey, I'm down here, um, you know whatever I'm just going to go through the motions, or you can say, okay, my goal, I've, I've been to the NHL. I see what it's like. That's what I want to be. That's where I want to be. Um, I'm going to work my butt off and, and get back to where uh, I want to be. So I kind of always had that attitude. I I always wanted to, to be the best goalie at every level I played at. I, I, I worked hard. Um, if I got sent down, I would still want to go out and, and learn and get better and, and get back to the NHL. So I, I took pride in, in, in that attitude.
0: Finishing off a time in Norfolk, there's a pretty – famous occurrence that happened on the ice that i think you were a part of were you were there where the when the bench clearing brawl happened i think between you guys yeah. and was it the maybe
1: yeah 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 it was uh i believe that was the lockout year so like i think stall was down there uh cam ward um boy scout night
0: yeah oh, that's, that's the old
1: scope oh, yeah so we <laughs> <laughs> we finished the period I was already in the locker room, and uh, our coaches were yelling back and forth. Tom Rowe, who I had later as a coach, awesome guy, great coach. I had Tom Uh,
0: as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. So him and Trent Yanni were uh, chirping back and forth and eventually met at the the red line um, and grabbed each other by the shirt. We were going to throw punches, and one of their players came and swung at Trent Yanni, and... When you have Sean Thornton and first round Brown and oh. five other tough guys in your team, Vandermeer, that's probably not a good thing to do. So we, uh, they took care of him and I was in the locker room with my helmet and gloves off already. So I, I put it back on, skated out. Um, it, it was honestly a scary situation. Uh, a lot of tough guys on the ice. Some guys are skating around with no shirt on. <laughs> uh, so all the tough guys are squaring off. Uh, just when you thought things were going to be done or end, somebody would sucker punch someone else and then it would start a whole, you know, everyone's rushing in to go after him and then sucker punches and head butts. And, um, so my story is, you know, I, I was just going in to break everything up. I say, I didn't want to fight. I'm not, a, I'm not a fighter. You know, I, if I had to, I would, but I didn't go looking for it. Uh, so two or three times I, I went into a scrum and I just grabbed like Chad Rose and I held onto his shirt you know, nothing just totally harmless, and I'm sure Chad didn't want to fight either. Uh, Cam Ward came over to me and grabbed him by the to jersey and said, hey, don't do anything. And I, and I said, I'm not. Just just breaking it up. I'm not going to do anything. So two minutes later, another scrum. I skated over, grabbed someone else, and he grabbed me again. He said, don't do not do anything. I said, turn around, and looked at him and said, don't touch me. I'm I'm not going to do anything. Leave me alone. And
0: I think Ward's sure 20 enough, years old. This was like his one year he spent in the A, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I was like 20. Five at this time. You're 26. a veteran, man. Yeah, I was already yeah you know, working out and doing chin ups all the time. <laughs> so uh, third time happened, same thing. He ran up to me and I said, "Don't touch me." And he said something back. And eventually, I said, "Okay, here's here's the deal." I said, "We either fight right now since you pissed me off. We're either going to fight now, or as soon as the puck drops next period, I'm going to skate down and fight you." And if you watch the video of it, as soon as, as soon as I say that, he grabs me by the mask right away and rips my helmet off and then we square off and had a good little tilt. And as soon as we finished fighting, everyone stopped to fight or everyone stopped to watch us fight. So as soon as we were done, uh, everyone just kind of scurried away and that ended the whole brawl. So good thing we kind of did that to, to end it all. But it, like I said, it was a, it was a scary moment and one of the referees uh was in um trying to break stuff up and he was a, a linesman who we knew really well and great guy uh he ended up breaking his leg so he's in the middle of the middle of the you know almost center ice screaming his head off because he, he <laughs> snapped his guy. leg i think in like two pieces so he's trying to get everyone to stop and he's in pain and our trainers were on the ice and guys are still going around headbutting and sucker punching each other and it was scary. It was oh,
0: scary. Oh, man. I, I think that you can actually hear him on a video screaming, like, you broke my yeah. fucking leg or something. He's just yelling yeah. his head off at it. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's probably one of those things that you kind of look back and laugh at now, but at the time, it was probably scary as hell on the ice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you're after, you're after that. You find you know, you know leave the Chicago organization and end up in Rochester. I got a note from Jean-Marc Pelletier talking about how good a friend you guys were, teammates, uh, but he also took credit for your career like straight up said i'm responsible for everything michael layton did after this because he tipped you off that you should probably be switching out of one company and into another when it comes to equipment so if you could maybe give that story and give us a little insight into what happened with jm peltier
1: uh was a good guy so uh when i went to rochester we were split between florida and buffalo so i was a buffalo he was with florida you know so it was a tough situation, I think, for both of us. He was uh, an older guy who was probably right in the middle of his career, having great success. And I was a younger guy coming out of the NHL and the lockout year or whatever. So, you know, we pretty much split the whole year. And we had a great beginning of the season. I think we were first place after the first month. We had uh, Derek Roy, Pominville, Chris Taylor, uh, Stewart, Campbell, so we, we had a really good lineup. Uh, you know, the top three or four on Florida were great, and our top three or four on, on uh, Buffalo were great. So everything was going great, and all of a sudden injuries in the NHL happened. We lose Campbell, we lose Stewart, we lose Pommenville, we lose Roy. Uh, Chris Taylor um, ended up getting surgery on his leg. He he had a, uh, it was a hematoma under his muscle, so they had to cut his leg open. He was out for... Ooh like six months or something so he missed pretty much the rest of the year so after that we just you know it was tough we we lost you know four or five of our best players couldn't score anymore we were giving up a lot of goals and it was a tough year for for me and Peltz but we uh we definitely stuck together as a team he, he was always wearing like old the fave stuff he's a you know french guy using sure. his french gear uh but we got along great we you know his wife and my uh my wife at the time were, you know hanging out all the time too so great guy great family and yeah, we definitely had we had fun but you know not having a successful season kind of sucked but it is what it is
0: was that a a big turning point on equipment in your career though i mean from my perspective all i can remember it in was ccm gear so what i mean first making that switch but what did you prefer in your equipment and did it change much over the years
1: well, I wore iTech for the first while, and I, I think I believe I wore iTech all that year, too. Then um, iTech was bought out by Bauer, um, and I tried Bauer for one year. And, uh, you know, the rep kind of said the gear is very similar, this and that, and, and I tried it, I just didn't feel the same. The iTech for me was just really light gear. It broke down fast, but, you know, when when you go through two pairs a year or three pairs a year, if you're if your team's good enough to let you do that, there's no problems. Um, That's just
0: good enough if they have enough money to do it. That's the real fact. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: But uh, you know, the glove came broken in. It was I loved it. The blocker was super light, and the pads were easy to break in. So I stuck with them, and then when they they switched to Bauer, it was kind of more of the Bauer style, not not the the iTech. So stuck with them for a year, and then I switched. Uh, tried CCM. And uh, that was, I think, that was the year. Yeah, I switched in Carolina, and then I went to Philly and and went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, gotta say the the pelts, I guess, steered me towards the Lafave CCM Reebok, and my my uh, career went up from there, I guess. So thanks, pelts.
0: Did you have anything unique about your specs? You know, some guys like their straps different ways, or the boot break this way or that, or glove. Is there anything that you found that was maybe different or unique from anybody else?
1: not really no i i kind of stuck with the model um i would always ask what they have coming you know with their new stuff and and they would always say okay we we change the inside of the pad it's this it's it's grippier. and i would always educate myself like is that gonna you know is is my leg gonna stick more in there uh is is it gonna slide more is it this and that and but uh the gloves i was i always wanted the same break i didn't like the you know, the, the whole it's, – it's hard to explain on the phone, but the whole fold-over flap glove. I wanted the more, like, finger-to-thumb gloves, and, and Reebok CCM made that for me, and I, I stuck with that um, that glove break, whatever, my whole career. So I tried a couple other gloves, um, and it just didn't feel right when I was clothing it. So I'm sure it's a comfort thing if I would have, you know, tried – I was—I—I would say I was pretty easy with the gear. I wasn't too picky. If something didn't feel right, and I just used it for a little while, I would get used to it, and I was good. So I was pretty adaptable.
0: Was style always really important important to you? I mean, you had some beautiful sets over the years, and you used a lot of color a lot of the time as well.
1: Yeah, I—I uh, I always tried to to sit down and think about, you know, what looked good with the jersey, and what jersey we wear more, and what colors I liked. So. Um, as I got older, my wife and the kids would throw in their two cents, too, so we always kind of tried to puzzle something together that looked good.
0: That's fun. Yeah, I did the same thing with my kids. That's That was the best part of it for me, was kind of including them on designs and stuff like that, and just seeing that reaction to it when it actually came. Let's yeah, t- yeah. let's touch on this 2006 seven season. I don't want to gloss over this one, because that was a circus for you. You started in Portland... You played a bulk of games there with the Anaheim organization, and then it just went off the rails. Can you describe how that happened? I mean, all the waiver claims and how many teams you played for?
1: Yeah, well, we kind of screwed up on my contract. Um, long story short, um, there was a max amount of games you were allowed to play, and if you made over a certain amount of money, you had to be go on re-entry waivers. So my agent, um, Burke in Anaheim, We all said, okay, let's sign for this amount because he's under that amount of games. Well, the year before, when I was with Rochester, I went up with Buffalo as a black ace. And that year, they made it all the way to the semifinals and lost in Game 7 to Carolina. So what we didn't know is they used every game in the playoffs all the way to the semifinals as games played, which put me over that Mm. amount of games. So, you got bit we, on technicality, find, brother. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we fought it and it didn't matter. So Burke finally came to me and said, listen, like, if I got to call you up, I'll use you. Like, I, we screwed up, whatever, whatever. So went to Portland. Uh, I did pretty well there and all of a sudden they, 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 had a couple injuries. They called up, uh, one of the other goalies who wasn't even playing. And, um, so I was obviously a little upset. And then I think Briz, uh, Jaguar was hurt first. He just got back. Briz Goloff goes down. Uh, Burke calls me and says, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna suck it up. If we lose you, we lose you. But, you know, I have a trade lined up for, for Briz to go to, uh, Arizona. So, you come up as soon as he's healthy, he might play a little bit, and then the trade should happen, and you're gonna stay the rest of the year. They win the Stanley Cup that year. No big deal, but, uh, he calls me up on, uh, re-entry re- waivers, and I got pick- picked up by Nashville. They had, uh, Thomas Volcun broke his finger, uh, had surgery. I go into the office there. They said, okay, listen, we picked you up. We need you for eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Uh, as soon as Volcun comes back, you know, we're gonna put you on waivers and whatever happens. So I was there with, uh, with, uh, Chris Mason, great guy, great goalie. Um, I end up getting in just one period the whole time because Chris was playing phenomenal the whole time I was there. So uh, Volcun comes back, I get put on waivers, and then I was picked up by Philadelphia. So I go to Philly, uh, practice for a little bit, played in three or four games, trade deadline rolls around. Um, they say, okay, we're going to put you down, but we like you, we want to keep you, hopefully you don't get picked up. Picked up by Montreal. So I went to Montreal for the rest of the year, and they they couldn't send me down to the minors. They had um, David Abisher, Halleck was there, and Cristobal Huey. Huey was injured, so he was just starting to come back. He had a hamstring surgery, so he was just starting to come back. And then when he got healthy, I was like the fourth goalie, just hanging out, barely even practicing anymore. So that was it was tough. That was a tough year. So then... They told me they were going to, uh, you know, not even qualify me, just let me go because they, you know, they, they knew they screwed me over. Um, so sure enough, I'm on a fishing charter uh, near Windsor, and I get a phone call from my agent saying that they traded my rights to Carolina, <laughs> and <that's>, uh, <laughs> so then Carolina qualified me and signed me to to Albany. So that was a whole other story.
0: <laughs> what a season! Were you married at this point? Did you have any kids?
1: Uh, I was married. Uh, my daughter was born. Um uh she was one when I was in Montreal, so she was born at the end of the Rochester year. Uh so she was just little. Uh we were in Montreal at a hotel. Uh and that's where she learned to walk. But so we were uh, she was one one years old in a hotel in Montreal, started walking then, so it was you know, being away from them. The wife came to uh and Allah and came to Montreal but that was, you know, three quarters into the year or end of the year already.
0: Well, it must not have been great to head back to the American League again, but that season in Albany might have been your best. Like, you were unbeatable. I remember facing you some of those games thinking, nothing's going to go in on this guy. And we get to playoffs, and this was the year that I was in Portland with the Pirates, and I was actually listening to the game that you had 100 saves in. The, the whatever, the quadruple, I can't remember how listen many overtime Oh, God, no. I listened to, like, once. Yeah. I- I saw what was going on, right? I found out that it was like two overtimes in and you were at 75 or 80 shots. So I turned this thing on and I remember listening to it. And the cheer that happened at the 100th shot, it was unbelievable. I mean, how did you survive that game?
1: Well, for a guy who gets dehydrated a lot, I i couldn't even tell you how many Gatorades and waters and stuff I was drinking. I had a, so much fluid in me, it was crazy. But that's the only thing that kept me standing up pretty much every I knew it was going to keep going so every every intermission I was drinking almost two Gatorades and a water and eating a banana protein bars uh I believe the phantoms were pizza after the fourth overtime they were oh, eating yeah. pizza in the locker room it was classic periods, wheel
0: the grease wheels in man yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so it was uh it was obviously it was a special moment uh I think there's a youtube video of uh of the hundred save uh, they put the score score clock back to zero, so that was that was really a a great moment. The fans were great, standing up, uh, chanting MVP, and uh, everyone's clapping. Whoever was left, there was um, I didn't see this, but I definitely heard that the cleaning staff was already cleaning up. Uh, I think after the second or third overtime, they were in the crowd cleaning up because uh, they wanted to get out of there. The doors were still open. They were supposedly homeless people walking in the rink and sitting in the stands watching the game, too, because it was still going. The and, entire uh, the city people, of
0: Albany's watching the game. <laughs>
1: pretty much, pretty much. The people that stayed, uh, it was obviously a pretty amazing moment. And I'll be 100% honest with you, I would have loved to, to win that game. But when that shot went in and they scored on me, I I wasn't even disappointed. I was at the point where I was so tired mentally physically you know how even 60 minutes is just mentally draining on you sometimes right
0: yeah, oh yeah
1: absolutely so i was just done the, the goal went in and i was just like all right and i stood up skated slowly to the bench and i, I think i sat in my stall for 20 minutes and didn't move
0: <laughs> the uh, longest that, game that, shower ever
1: <laughs> yeah and then the next day we jumped on a bus to head to philly played the next day and i believe we won that game two nothing and i had uh you know 40 something shots in that too so pretty pretty crazy play we lost in 7 that that series but if you look at my stats if you look at my stats for that series i think I, my goals against was under 1 and save percentage i believe was over 6 or 9697 huh. so <laughs> the stats were there we just uh we couldn't put the puck in the net and uh i was disappointed we didn't win
0: did you think that that season was going to lead you back to the nhl because i'm looking at your numbers at a nine three one in regular season and then that, that one huge game in playoffs the 100 save game just resonated throughout all of pro hockey do you think that's really what wrote your ticket back to the national
1: yeah yeah i you know mid-season my agent was talking to uh the rutherford in carolina and he said you know we're we gonna get an extension done here one way and and they were talking about possibly giving me a, a two-year with a uh, two-way and then the second year is a one-way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I looked at possibly I was getting a call from uh, a Russian team wanted me to leave at Christmas. So, you know, I my agent talked to Jimmy and said, listen, like, we we need more than that. And as soon as this, he, he's kind of – he reinsured us the whole time, the whole time, okay, you're going to be good, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry end of the season, and then I signed a, a two-year contract after that, both both one-ways. So, definitely helped me get back there for sure.
0: How old were you at that point?
1: E, I was probably 28, I, I think.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you're still in your prime here, and it, it did get, get you back to the NHL in those couple of years with Carolina. It wasn't an easy scenario there, I know. The team wasn't great a lot of the time. Uh, did it feel like it ever really clicked there, or was there just something that was kind of missing?
1: Uh... No, they uh I think it was the first year we made it to the semifinals or
0: Oh, that's right. That was the last time the team was in playoffs. That's
1: yeah, right. Yeah, we made it to the semifinals and and got swept by Pittsburgh. Uh Cam Ward was playing phenomenal.
0: Your old buddy. And
1: yeah, yeah. So we <laughs> yeah, yeah, we met up with him later down the road and, um yeah, we we beat Boston in 7. And we beat New Jersey in seven. We we scored, I believe, in the last minute against uh, Boston, and then we scored the last twenty seconds of the game or something to beat out Jersey. And both in Game Seven, like phenomenal, the the way we what we were pulling off in the playoffs was great. And then we got to Pittsburgh, and they were they were just that much better than us. Malkin was phenomenal, Crosby, Flurry, like they were they were good. as much as we were disappointed we lost that 4 nothing. They, they, they were at their best at that that time.
0: So, what led to you ending up in Philadelphia? You kind of resurrected yourself yet again when the time you got there, playing 27 games in 09 10, and then going on the Calder run. So, or sorry, on the Stanley Cup run, not the Calder. So stuck in the American League in my head sometimes. But. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I can't remember how it went down, how you went from Carolina to Philadelphia.
1: Well, uh, I was, me and Cam were, were partners and he got his legs sliced, um, in Columbus. So as soon as that happened, they knew he was going to be out for, for two weeks or so. Um, they signed Manny Legacy and I played a game. I went in the game against Columbus and we ended up losing the game. Um, they signed Manny. He lost his first game. I went in, won a game. Lost my next game. Manny went in, played good, and won a game. So we were going back and forth. And then when Ward came back, they just said, "Okay, we're we're just going to stick with with Manny. So we're going to put you on waivers." So I went through waivers. Nobody picked me up. Um, so they kept me in Carolina. So I was still with the team. Uh, I stayed there for about another week or two. Uh, Philly had a couple injuries, and then my agent called uh, Paul Holmgren and just said, "Hey." Uh, you know, we know you have injuries. Mike will come for two, four, whatever weeks you need him, and then he'll go play in the minors if you want him. You know, in uh, with the Phantoms. So Paul hungren says, "Yeah, sure, that sounds like a good idea." Uh, call Carolina, tell them put him back on reentry waivers. So I went on reentry waivers, picked up by uh, by Philly, and I think the first game I went there, uh, or within the first week, um, Brian Boucher broke his finger. He got hit in the on the middle finger, I believe, and his finger just blew up. So he was out for two or three weeks with that, and I ended up playing in the Winter Classic and just kind of rolled from there. I played great, and the team was playing good with me. And then come mid-March, I had a high ankle sprain, so that put me out uh, the rest of the year and then into the first round of playoffs.
0: And then he took over. So give me me the rundown on Stanley Cup playoffs. I never had a chance to experience it. I never even black-aced for a team. What was the atmosphere like?
1: Uh oh, can't even describe it. Um, obviously, the first round is, is is huge by itself. Second round it gets a little more interesting. Um, we were down three nothing to Boston and ended up battling back and winning game seven in Boston. So you know to win game seven in Boston, which we did in Carolina too, that I just explain. So uh, you know, people were throwing stuff on the ice and at our bench after we won. Uh, go into Montreal. So, Montreal and Philadelphia, those rinks were just electrifying. Like, I mean, Montreal in itself, when you play there, I'm sure you play uh, mm-hmm. many games in Montreal, but the crowds are great in the regular season. In playoffs, it's just loud, non-stop yelling, um, great atmosphere. It gives you chills. It's, it's so, uh, so electrifying there. And then, Philly, the crowds were nuts too. And, uh, you know, get to the final, play in Chicago, and that barn, again, as you know, it's it's crazy in the regular season. Playoffs is just, you know, just picture that times 10. And Philly National Anthem, you know, you can't even hear yourself think it's, it's that loud and the crowd's going crazy, and it was great. And the whole city was just gathered around, you know, just kind of go right around you, and everyone's wearing flyer stuff left and right. Go to Chicago, everyone's got a Blackhawk jersey on. The, uh, the flags hanging out of the cars, the bumper stickers, just everywhere, the signs everywhere. So it, it was great experience, and I'm sure you're going to bring it up, but as bad as it sucked and it still burns that we lost that series, um, it was still the highlight of my career and, and probably the greatest moment I've ever played in hockey and the most fun I had.
0: Well, it's easy for people to remember us by our failures sometimes, and you forget about how great things have been. You know, like getting to the finals and carrying a team there as a goaltender is no small feat. It's not the team itself, it's everybody, but the goalie plays a huge part in that. And you were that for Philadelphia. Like you got the team there, you got them through the regular season on a roll like that. I mean, I'm sure it was crushing for the goal to go in like that at the end and to just have this one memory. But I want to at least give you the chance here to kind of look back at it and just describe what happened there. It's so easy to just look at it and say, oh, this happened. Like from your perspective, you know, what made that
1: go in? Uh, you're definitely not the first person to ask that. Uh, every interview I do, it comes up, so it's kind okay. of funny. But uh, <laughs> um, You know, me and Jeff Reese were working on things uh, when I got to Philly, and one of them was the start of the RVH. You know, we the VH was very popular at that time, and the RVH was just starting to get introduced, and we were talking about it, and, and we worked on it a few times, but it, You know, it just wasn't a movement. If you didn't do it before, your hips would get sore, and you know, we just didn't move that way and didn't uh, get adjusted to it. So, uh, when when Kane came down the wing, uh, my first thought was he's just going to drive wide and either try to stuff it or he's going to try to feed it in front of the net. So I held my posts, and then when he shot it quick, I just instead of doing an RVH, which now I, I laugh because. You and me both know that if someone's coming down like that, we're already in our reverse VH waiting yeah. for them. We're a preventative in preventative play beat. on
0: it. It's, it's, a, it's a nothing yeah. play, you know. At that point, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So at that time, I was holding my post, and I kind of got caught in between doing the um, the reverse VH, which my pad just went straight down instead of going into the the pad up. So right. as soon as it went underneath me, I looked back. I, I knew I knew it went underneath me right away. And, Obviously, uh, I see everybody celebrating, and my first thought was, okay, how do I? No one knew where the puck was. Um, I was thinking, okay, how am I going to get this puck out of the net without anybody knowing?
0: <laughs> right, the <laughs> natural is, goalie instinct, that, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the first thing I'm thinking about. I look over, and the referees are going to the penalty box to go upstairs. And, and as soon as I saw that, I knew it was done. I waited and waited. The ref was digging in the net. Uh, so I went over, I lifted the net up. As soon as I lifted it, you could see the puck, and I kicked the puck in the corner. And, uh, and that was it. Obviously they, they went upstairs and called their goal. So tough one, tough one. But like I said, na- nowadays, nowadays, I, it still pops in my mind when I see someone driving in that position, uh, I'm down before he even, you know, gets the close to the hash marks. So, right. Well, how did yeah, your teammates, similar.
0: how'd your teammates respond? I, I mean, I'm sure I, from my perspective, I'm thinking they probably gave you all the love in the world after that game and after that series.
1: They, they did. Um, the whole playoff series, you know, everyone was very positive and, um, you know, when you have Chris Pronger come up to you, he, he, everyone knew I was disappointed, everyone was disappointed. He comes over and gives me a whack in the pads. So, um, you know, a couple of guys came up to me here and there and just said, uh, you know, without you, we wouldn't have been there, so shake it off kind of thing. Kimo Timonen walked up to me and said, hey, you know, this was the most fun I've ever had playing hockey and, you were a big part of that, so thank you. And so you hear that you know they were, you know, behind me the whole time. The whole thing is you 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 know you win as a team, you lose as a team. Uh, Chicago was a good team. As, as much as I, I want to say, hey, if that if that puck didn't go in, you know, we we would have won the Stanley Cup. Well, we still had to we still had to win that game, and then we had to go to Chicago. Which every time we played in Chicago in that series, they dominated us. They were they came out flying in Chicago. So you know, would we have won Game Seven? It's obviously uh, up in the air, uh, shot in the dark on that, but uh, they were a good team. They were a good team, so it's, it's tough to swallow either way.
0: It's all hindsight, man. You can always look yeah. at it in so many different perspectives. After having such a good season, did you ever expect you'd end up back in the American League after that right away, though?
1: No, I didn't. Um, I actually, uh, well, I had my high ankle sprain that year. Um, I got back from that. A lot of people didn't know, too. My. My foot was taped up almost like into a cast, like I had so much tape on my foot that I almost couldn't even bend my ankle that whole playoffs because uh, I just came back from that high ankle sprain and so you're uh, playing
0: hurt and grinding it
1: uh yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't so much the pain because it was taped up like i said i couldn't I couldn't roll my ankle over um, going outwards, so there wasn't much pain at all, so that that, that was fine I't I can't, definitely can't blame any pain on that uh, once I got to the Montreal series. I, I tweaked my back somehow, and I I really had to spend a ton of time stretching. I had chiropractors, massage. Um, I went out, played the rest of the playoffs, all good. Um, you know, the team knew about it. I took a couple of weeks off, started working out, signed my new contracts. Um, You know, I got uh, some tests done that summer, and they said I had a, just a bulging disc with a crack in it. So, you know, the team wasn't concerned. They just said, you know, strengthen your core muscles. It'll heal. We're all good. So as we got, you know, a month before training camp, I was feeling great. Uh, went into my first exhibition game, did all training camp, no problem. First exhibition game against Toronto, all of a sudden my foot goes numb, my left foot. And I mean numb to the point where I couldn't skate. Uh, mm-hmm. We went into over, uh, yeah, we were in overtime. I had to end up going in a shootout. I had to leave the shootout because I couldn't skate. I couldn't skate forward and be able to transition to backwards. My foot was dead like drop foot. So then as I left the game, I started getting shooting down my butt, down into my hamstring, like stabbing, shooting pains. So right away they said, yeah, you're back, blah, blah, blah. And that numbness in um, drop foot didn't go away for two weeks. And and the doctor said, listen, like you can't keep leaving this. The longer you leave it, your nerve's dying. We have to do surgery. So this was still before the season started. So I went from Stanley Cup Finals you know, more motivated to win than I've ever been. I was confident, you know, I, that was all summer, obviously, at 8 away I mean, that we didn't win, so I wanted to win. I, we still had pretty close to the same team, and I go, you know, to have back surgery. So, that put me out till January 1. I believe I played in LA. We won the game 6-4, and I, I didn't, you know, no excuses. I didn't play good. Um, still wasn't 100%, so Paul Holmgren comes to me and says, listen, we're going to we're going to put you in the minors, go down, get healthy, get your game back, and then we'll we'll see what happens after that. So um, I went down and, you know, slowly felt better and better and, and uh, you know, went from there.
0: Well, you went down and kicked ass again. Like every time you're yeah. in the American yeah. League, your numbers are incredible, it seems like. <clears throat> was that one of the seasons that you were an all-star or was that the following? I mean, you were a five-time all-star, if I'm not mistaken, in the American League. Do you remember which seasons those were?
1: Uh, my first season um, that I was with uh, the Albany, Albany, so that was uh, 06. The Phantoms, I believe, was the next year after that. After uh, I, I went at Christmas time, and then the next season I started the minors when they had Bobrovsky right. and uh, and uh, So I started the minors that year, and I, I made the all-star team that year. Um, and then Rockford was another one.
0: And that's when we were we were partners there, or at least we were opposing goalies. But that was a fun all-star game. That was the only one I got to do with the American League. Yep, yep. Think about the relics we had there, man. Me, you, Budai, Jan Dani. We had an old crew. That was great.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, it was always fun playing in those. You see all the there, – there's always a, a couple of older guys that had been around a while, like us. And then there's a few younger guys that we look back at now, and they're like, wow, you know, they're – all stars, and then a year or two later, you see them starting in the NHL. So it's uh you know a lot of people always say to me, you know, you're disappointed most of your career was in the AHL, and I, I say no, like the AHL is a great league. I'm proud, I'm proud to have played in the AHL. You know, to to play with all these young guys and see all these guys move up. And I'm, I'm sure I, I keep saying this, but you felt the same way. You play with a guy, and a year or two later, he's you know leading a team in the NHL, making you know, tons of money and having great success in the NHL. So, and that's that's a huge part of the A, and I, I've always cherished that.
0: Well, it's kind of a feather in your cap, and it makes you feel like you've been part of it in some ways. I'm so excited when I see former teammates of mine doing well. Yeah. Just knowing that yourself, myself, that we played a little part in that in some way is really awesome because we're going to be watching them for 10, 15 years down the road sometimes.
1: Oh, I, for sure, for sure. I don't and want I, to – Before we get any further – I just want to congratulate you on a great career too, buddy. I know I, I send you a text and talk to you and stuff, but um, you know, on air, you had a great career. You have lots to be proud of. I was rooting for you all the time. You were, every time we played against each other, I loved playing against you. We always had a good chuckle at the red line and warm up.
0: <laughs> always. Yeah.
1: And, and then stay by each other after the periods and give you a little smirk. And you know, you ha- you have a lot to be proud of. Congratulations to you, buddy. And thank your you. uh, your retirement too. Yeah. Thank you. I mean,
0: that's, that's, why I enjoyed this so much. That's why I was so excited to talk to you because we didn't really ever get to know each other until we were on PHP Exec Board and we finally had a chance to kind of sit down and, and talk things over. Yeah, there yeah. are a lot of guys, though, that we come in contact with just in games at the red line that we become friendly with that we don't know in any way outside of the rink. It's such a unique dynamic
1: like that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a story. Peter Budai, okay? Uh, when I was in Norfolk, he was in Hershey. and And that guy... If you just look at him, he looks like a mean guy. He just has this look on his face. He looks mean and he played dirty. And I always, every time I played against him, I'm like, man, I hate this guy. And he wasn't very talkative. He would just kind of give me a nod at the red line. And not, I didn't want to fight him, but I just had this like hate for him, you know. And, and Hershey always had a good team and we always had battles against him. And, um uh, the first All-Star game, uh, I don't know, it wasn't my first, but, I went to an all-star game, and he was there. And sure enough, I look over, and he's skating towards me. And I first thought, I was like, Jesus, this guy, right? He walks up, Lates, how you doing, buddy? Blah, blah, blah. And didn't stop talking for 20 minutes. Nicest guy I can be. And then, what was it, five, six years later, I sign in Tampa Bay, and he's the back of going Tampa Bay. Same thing. Go to the gym. This guy's sitting in the gym stretching. Walks over to me, gives me a hug. Hey, buddy, how are you? Great to see you. And I'm just like, so Definitely can't judge a book by its cover, but Peter was a great guy.
0: That's incredible. Another guy who just retired and congrats to him too. I don't I don't want to yeah. gloss over the one season you had in Russia, and I don't want to dwell on it though either. If I just want to know what it was like for you to go over there, if your family came, what the hockey was like, you know, if anything kind of surreal or absurd happened while you were there.
1: Um, no. Family stayed home. Uh it worked out where uh, I didn't really have anything going on, and all of a sudden uh, Ruslan Fedotenko called me and said, "Hey, would you come here?" Uh, it was kind of a, a last-minute thing. Boom, I took off. And I've never been to Europe or never been overseas anywhere, so uh, for me that was a big culture shock. Um, you know, the food's different, people are different. Donetsk was a good city uh, when I first got there. First of all, I later obviously fell apart in the Ukraine, but um, you know, I had good teammates. The hockey was... Uh, people always ask me, how do you compare the KHL to the AA or the NHL? and I, I just say you can't. You can't. It's uh, There's a lot of skill over there. Those guys can, can do magic with the puck. But with the big ice and their skill and the flashiness those guys have, it, it doesn't have the structure that the AHL and the NHL has. So I always throw this reference out and it's not a smash of the H to the to the, to the KHL but the KHL for me was almost like beer league hockey with all star players. Mm. Right? They they skate around and, and they just it's almost like they're having fun. You know, they're they're on a two on one and he'll pass it across, get through the D so you go diving across for that guy and that guy will do a spinorama and he'll backhand pass back to the guy who has a wide open net. And you're and you just look at the guy like, Man, why why aren't you just shooting the puck? You know, and if you watch the highlights of the KHL, you'll see there's so many nice goals, like flashy, flashy goals, that you you'd be like, wow, uh, you don't see that that often. But they miss so many opportunities because they don't shoot the puck, or they, you know, they get, they have a wide open net and they still feel like they need to to pass it to somebody else for them to to one time and, and another open net. So it's it's hard to compare hockey wise, but You know going outside of that it was it was tough being away from my family obviously my my son was born um when i was away the team kind of told me that i'd be able to go home as soon as he was born and uh, as soon as my son was born they said okay well we got a break in two weeks so you can you go home in two weeks so uh that was tough that was really tough and i got home two or three times after that you know short periods of time but it's just uh it's, it's different life over there and different different hockey for sure.
0: Did you expect that you'd be coming back to North America? I mean, I, I know that you got sick after that season, I guess, right? And was that kind of the catalyst for you coming back and playing for Rockford?
1: Well, the, the money I made in the KHL was tough to turn down. So right. I had a good season. Um, Sochi just had the Olympics and they started a new team. So uh, they came to me and said, hey, we'll give you uh, almost double the amount I was making with with Ukraine. So I signed a contract with them, and two weeks before I was going to leave, I was in Florida on a vacation with my family, and I started getting a headache. And I had a headache for three straight days. I took Advil, Tylenol, ibuprofen, um, Excedrin, whatever. I tried everything. Nothing would wipe this, this uh, headache out. And at night, I was... Sweating and getting fevers, and so my wife is an, is a nurse, and she was obviously getting upset with me, you know, moping around and acting like a baby for three days, and she finally looked at me and says, "Go, go to the hospital." And I said, "No, no, no, I'm good, I'm good." And I was I was trying to suck it up for the kids, you know, you're in Disney, you don't want to be a a Debbie Downer, right? So <laughs> uh, I said, she said, "No, you're going. Like, well, I'm going to take the kids to the park. You go to the hospital." So I took a taxi to the hospital. Um, they do, uh, cat scans, MRI, my brain, all this stuff. And they, they did a spinal tap on me and found out I had viral meningitis. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I'm not a doctor. I didn't know what that meant and <clears throat> just thought, you know, a week or two I would feel better. The doctor there was great. She, she looked at me and she goes, You're gonna be sick for a couple months. And I was like, Okay, whatever, you know, I'll feel better. And she's like, "No, nope, no, nope, your, your brain is swelling. Like my eyesight wasn't good, my memory was gone, and she goes, "You're you're looking at two months recovery here." So I tried to shrug it off. I went back home, seen all my doctors back home. Uh, The team in Sochi, finally, I called them and said, "Listen, I can't come. Like I'm I'm sick. Here's all my doctor's notes. There's no sense me going to Russia and sitting there and being sick and not be able to do anything." So they didn't believe me. We fought back and forth, and finally, my wife um Called my agent, and said, "Listen, like he, he's not going. Like he he can't go f- until he's better." So the team and her, she kind of said, "You know, if they want him to go and he can't, and they want to cancel his contract, then fine." So they talked to the team, and sure enough, the team says, "Yeah, we don't believe you." So my wife said, "Fine." You know, she talked to me about it, and I said, "Okay, that's fine." So we canceled the deal. And about a month later, I was starting to recover, and I got a call from Mark Bernard and Al McIsaac in Chicago, and it, it was like a, a blessing that they uh, they were looking for a goalie, and I was just starting to feel better. So it was terrible, man. I was, I mean, when I say I lost my memory, my wife would tell me something, or my kids would say something, and five minutes later, I would forget. I was sleeping till nine, ten o'clock in the morning, and I'd go, to, I'd be back in bed. I'd take a nap maybe for an hour, and I'd be back in bed by seven at night i wake up every night my bed was soaked you know i had a 101 fever for i think a month and a half straight headaches for two months straight it was it was bad so you know it was uh it sucked that i lost out on all that money and opportunity to go play over there but in a way it, it turned out good for me i still you know got a great opportunity in rockford and you know got to be with my family so you know opens the door to another opportunity i guess you can say
0: I remember getting a call from somebody asking, hey, we think Mike Leighton might be available. Should we do this? And I was like, yeah, if you can get him right now, I think you should do that right now. So <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that was a little bit before you signed with those guys. So uh, I think they made a wise decision on it. Did you know when you came back that you were chasing Johnny Bowers' shutout record or that you were anywhere close to it?
1: Um, I think I knew once I got to about 40. And they said, you know, you're five away. And, um had a good season in rockford and climbed to it so once i got to i think 44 i think i, I went a month or month and a half without, uh, without another shutout so it was uh mentally tough you know not getting that last one and i think i was close one game i got into the third period and they scored so once i tied it it was kind of you know weight off the shoulders and i think i i beat it maybe a week or two later so it was nice just uh you know, uh, to get that over with—not—not not think about it. Tough, tough thinking about that kind of thing.
0: I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. You're the all-time shutout record holder of the American Hockey League. That's been around <laughs> since the 30s. It's got to, it's got to yeah. rank up to up there in your accomplishments, I think.
1: It was for sure. Um, it happened both, uh, both the tying and winning. My family were both there, uh, so when I beat it, my family came on the ice with me. You know, sold out barn in, in Rockford fans were great organization was great and then i even got a call from johnny bauer which was uh, definitely a highlight of my career yeah he called me and my wife was sitting there taking pictures of me talking to him on the phone and she after i hung up the phone she goes you didn't even say anything to him like you didn't even talk i'm like i couldn't even get a word in he was just jibber-jabbering talking about everything and his career and my career and you know whatever great great listening to him and you know, it's very special to have a guy like that call me for sure.
0: That is so amazing, man, and I. It'll be even cooler when you inevitably the American League puts you into the Hall of Fame, which I'm sure will be coming up soon for you, so you can
1: get your speech ready for it. <laughs> well, hopefully we can go in together, buddy. That'll be, that'll be <laughs> oh awesome.
0: man, you've you've accomplished way more than I have, that's for sure. But yeah.
1: well, uh, my boy Denny, my boy Denny Hamel just got uh, nominated, so he's uh, he's a good friend of mine. Did you play with Denny? I didn't
0: ever play against with him, but I remember how hard he shot the puck. I oh, played against man, him an awful lot. He had an absolute rocket.
1: Yeah, and he would shoot from everywhere. He'd lead yeah. the league in shots and probably lead the league in goals, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he could score from anywhere.
0: Yeah, he was awesome, man. Uh, he was always somebody I never wanted to face, that's for sure, the way he could shoot the puck. These last couple of years of your career really were all over the map. You did get some more NHL games, which I'm sure was great, too, but... Was it difficult for you to go through all these different cities at the end, just trying to to find roots and with your family and everything?
1: Yeah, it was for sure. My family stayed home. Uh, I think when I went to Charlotte, uh, that was the time they, you know, it's far away from home. The kids were, you know, had their friends and they were getting older, so they, uh, you know, they went, stayed in school, had their hockey and dance, and they started to get more comfortable at home. So. Um, and that year worked out good, too. I was I was up and down between them and Carolina, so to, to move them around would have been tough. Um, finished that year, and then when I signed with Tampa Bay that year, um was pretty crazy, too, just getting tossed around. Uh, I struggled early in the season, <clears throat> and then uh, was traded, went to uh, Arizona, which they just told me to stay home. They were looking um, just to get rid of Deming, uh salary, and took me on but they just said you know we don't we didn't even need you you we, we, we just kind of throwing in the deal so i waited around at home for a couple of weeks and they got traded to pittsburgh and uh i went there played one game uh christmas break came first day after christmas we had a pregame skate and then a warm-up and i pulled my groin in warm-ups and end up being out almost till uh, the last i think month of the season so you know the, the travel around and, and not playing much i think probably put more of a a toll on my body than than I thought it was. I, I felt great working out on the ice I felt great but then you know, in games you you stretch and do things you're not gonna do in practice and when you're skating by yourself, right? So um the last few years I had some injuries that I you know was either off for Christmas break, you know, not on the ice for five, six days and I stiffened up a little bit and had some some injuries that, you know, hurt my career a little bit too, so that sucked.
0: Were you able to have a proper send off in Utica this past season?
1: No, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even. The guys were asking me if I was going to retire, and I, I didn't say yes or no. I, I still thought there was a possibility I was going to play, and I didn't want to end it there just in case something did come up through the summer. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I still felt good, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Like you finished on a on a great note. Obviously, you, you traveled around a lot, but I'm sure physically and mentally you still felt like you could still play, right?
0: Yeah. I know. I think if you gave me a couple of weeks, I could be right back in it, but that's also my, exactly. ego to, that's my ego. Exa- to try hey, <laughs> that's
1: exactly the way I thought. And I said, and all summer I said, you know what? As soon as I announced my retirement, I said a week or two later, someone's going to call in Europe or wherever and say, Hey, we'll give you an offer. You can't refuse, but you want to come play. And I felt the same way. Like, Hey, give me, give me a week or two to work out and get back on the ice and I'll be good to go. So that's why I was kind of, you know, it's. Just doesn't feel right to retire. I, I'm sure you felt the same way. It's tough just to, to walk away from it, uh, it when you still feel us, good. You
0: know? We've been yeah. goaltenders your so
1: whole lives. Exactly. Exactly. And people. A lot of people don't understand that. They just say, "Oh, you're old and you know let the young guys play." We heard that saying a few times, but we've been doing this since we were seven, eight years old. That's all we know, and that's all we've done. And just to say, "Hey, okay, I'm giving it up. I'm done." It was tough.
0: Well, and we've earned the right to do it because we played yeah. well enough to do it. That's the reality, yeah. you know. Well, when people look back on your career, what what do you want to be remembered for? What do you think you should be remembered for? Because I, you've done so much. I looked up to you my whole career. I loved being on the ice and playing against you. What do you think kind of defines your
1: career? Uh, Well, if you look at my whole career, I was up and down, right? So I think if if I uh, want people to take one thing, it's just that I never gave up. I All the ups and downs I had in my career going from – you know, Stanley Cup winning goal, um, the goal of the year in the A. You know, to having great AHL seasons, to having success in the NHL, going back and forth. Um, that I still worked very hard. I never gave up, and I still was trying to be, you know, a good guy all the time. Um, you know, and mentor these these younger kids as I got older. So, I think just uh, just a, just a guy that battled his whole career and and kind of worked for everything that he got
0: this has been so much fun i'm I'm so happy that you took some time to do this and i'm sure people are gonna we're not ending now are we
1: well, we, can have, we can keep it cool. <laughs> we can have a part two here <laughs> you got things oh, there's, you want lot, to hear? there's lots more yeah. stories but there's lots more stories
0: we'll have to do a part two on it man it's i like to keep them under you know an hour if i can do it but uh yeah Awesome, man! I'm so happy you joined us. Join me today to do this, and there were actually a lot of people that were requesting you. Believe it or yeah. not, I mean it's yeah. uh, it's interesting who people latch on to and who they'd really like to hear from. And you played for so many teams and organizations, and, and like you say, battled the whole time up and down. That I think there's an awful lot of people in the goalie and the hockey world that have so much respect for you that they're really going to enjoy this.
1: Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, you know, as much as it's stuck playing for so many different teams. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way. We met a lot of great people through hockey, our whole careers, you know, coaching, goalie coaching, our trainers, um, you know, the whole aspect of it. We met a lot of good people, and we can't ever take back and, what, you know, what we've done and say, hey, I wish I didn't play for that many teams because we met a lot of good people throughout our our careers.
0: Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment. Leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.